You can find your way back to a seat. Um, if this isn't a picture of the church, I'm holding my baby, coming up to preach and say, hey, here, hold my baby. Thank you, guys. <laughs> uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, we particularly want to say welcome to you. We're glad you're here worshiping with you with us. Um, we're two months into a year-long effort um, called the Bible Initiative. We're walking from Genesis to Revelation, and we just wanted to kind of acknowledge uh, a couple things. Uh, if you're new and you're curious, there's some red booklets that match that logo out in the Welcome Center. Um, you can grab one of those, and they'll help you kind of see what we're doing and catch up there. But I want to acknowledge that, you know, because we're covering Genesis to Revelation in basically 48 weeks, um, we are uh, covering much larger chunks of Scripture than we normally would. You know, it's not necessarily our MO to, to cover so much at one time. We would much rather choose one book and walks, walk ourselves through, exegetically through that book. Um, that's just our heart for teaching, but we're, we're trying to um, just engage folks and, and encourage people to read. And so... That if you kind of walk in and go, man, they're really covering a lot, That's, this is why. We're, we're doing the Bible Initiative this year, and we will get back to that in 2018, that more exegetical teaching. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Exodus 3. Today, we step into the book of Exodus um, and the life of Moses. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited for your reading this week. The reading is Exodus 1 through chapter 6. Um, it's a really cool, incredible narrative story, and it's incredibly relatable to you and I. And that's why I'm excited to jump into it this week. The Exodus story really is our story. Uh, we all share the same trait that as God's people, God is taking us from darkness to light. And he's drawing us out in order to draw us into him. You know, God's desire is to deliver and to dwell with his people. And this is the book we're going to start reading where we begin to see God in the beginning stages preparing to do so. He's preparing Moses to do so. He's going to use Moses as kind of a key figure uh, in the next uh, few, well, few weeks that we go through this. But just to kind of um, recap real quick, you know, it's been about 400 years since... Uh, God made his covenant promise to Abraham to multiply his people to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and to give them a promised land. So up until this point, 400 years have gone by, and the God's, Abraham's descendants have not seen God do anything with that. Um, in the book of Exodus, we, we're going to see a few things. The reading of this week, you're going to see two major themes. One is uh, the fact that God is beginning to show his faithfulness. He is going to begin to deliver on his promises to Abraham. You know, even in the midst of political, economic, social, and spiritual slavery, God begins to multiply the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. Um, even the more that the Pharaoh oppresses them, the more that they multiply. Uh, and then eventually he's positioning Moses to lead them into the promised land. And so we pick this up where a pharaoh has come into power that doesn't remember the favor that the previous pharaoh had with Joseph and the people of Israel. And he starts to look at the people and says, man, these folks, if we ever get attacked, 
the number is so great that they could jump in with whoever is attacking Egypt and we could be defeated. And so fearing that, he oppresses them. He puts them into slavery and makes them work for him. Um, but the problem is, as he, as he oppresses them, they grow even more. And so he gets to the point where the Pharaoh makes this awful decree that every female baby would be kept for we know what purposes, um, but every male he would kill. He would throw them into the river. Uh, and so in this moment, you know, the, we know the story that the Levite couple defy this order. Uh, they put their baby in a little basket and put them in the river. And the Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket, takes pity on the baby, draws him out of the water, and therefore he gets his name Moses. And so Moses is raised in an Egyptian home, and he eventually sees the suffering of his people, and he gets angered by it, and he tries to take action on his own. In his own vain effort, he tries to intervene when an Egyptian is beating an Israelite, he ends up killing the Egyptian. He tries to cover it up. He buries him in the sand. He thinks he got away with it. But then he realizes from his own people, they judge him and criticize him for those actions. So he realizes, I didn't get away with this. Panics and fear, fear sets in that Pharaoh is going to, going to uh, be angry at him. And so he flees. He flees to Midian, into the desert. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up in the story um, Moses is in the desert in Midian. He's sitting by a well, and these women come to the well to draw water. They end up getting pushed off by some shepherds, and Moses, Moses stands up for the women, helps them out. And the women end up inviting him to their house where the father brings them in and takes them in as one of his own. He gives a daughter to be married to Moses. Moses has a son with him, and there he lives in Midian now. And so this is where we're going to pick up in chapter 3. But what I want to focus our time on today is the second theme that you're going to see in Exodus as you read this week. And that second theme is God is personal. He wants Israel to know and worship him. And so as we walk through this morning, I'm going to show you three ways that God reveals to us that he is personal through his relationship with Moses. At the end of chapter 2, we read that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You see, God reveals that he is personal um, because he knew, when it says he knew, he knew all of them. He knew their agony. He heard, he saw, he knew, and because of it, he acts. That word remember there doesn't imply that God forgot about them, but rather that it's a, now I'm going to take action because I remember, what, I see what's going on here. God reveals he's personal. Um, in chapter 3, the way he does that to Moses, Moses is a really defeated man at this point. When we pick up in chapter 3, you know, he started out his life growing up around Egyptian royalty. Then he felt like God wanted him to deliver Israel. He tried to obey that. It didn't work out so well. He fled in fear. And so now we find Moses, an 80-year-old man, living in his in-laws, working for his father-in-law. Okay? He, he does not have a lot that he's proud of at the moment. So needless to say, Moses is pretty defeated. 
you know, before I came to LCF, this used to be a lot more accurate. But I used to be able to know how you knew me, where you knew me from, and how well you knew me by the name that you called me. Okay, did you catch that? So if you were to call me before coming to LCF, if you called me TA, I knew that you knew me from Canacut Camps or my time in K-Life Ministries. If you called me Big Fella, you were one of my college roommates, or you were one of the guys on the fo- my college football team. If you called me Timmy, I knew that you were one of my football coaches, because every coach I've ever had from third grade through college called me Timmy. Didn't ask for it, they just, it's just what it was. Um, if you call me Timmy Jimmy, I know you're my mom. <laughs> if you call me Timothy James Adams, I know I'm in trouble. Okay, and if you call me babe, you better be my wife. All right, let's just get that clarified. But this is the, the very way that God says, I am personal, because he introduces himself to Moses by name. We know him by name. If you got your Bible, we're going to read Exodus 3. Um, we're going to read about that very moment that God introduces himself. Starting in verse 1, going through chapter, verse 17. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led this flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of the fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, I will be, But I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to remember throughout all generations. Go to the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the 
Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is speaking directly to Moses, not through an angel, but because he is personal, he comes directly to Moses. Before we take any further steps, I want to clarify this. You see in verse 4, and there's a few other places before that, where the text says, the Lord, in all capital letters, says the Lord saw that Moses, that he, Moses, had turned over to look. Whenever you see that in your Bible, when it's written in all capital letters like that, there is a specific name behind it. It's a Hebrew word that just says Y-H-W-H, which we pronounce Yahweh. The Jews came to regard this word for Yahweh with such reverence that they would never speak it on their lips. When they came to it in the reading, they would just say Adonai, which means my Lord, my sovereign master. You see, in the Old Testament, Lord in all caps is used three times, as more, more, three times more than any other reference to God, even the simple name God, Elohim. And the reason he does that is he does not want to be known as a generic deity. He has a specific name that carries a unique character and mission. So it's important that we see in verse 4 that when Moses begins to talk to God, Moses is the guy who writes Exodus, he identifies him as the Lord, the Yahweh. And then God introduces himself as this, I am who I am. God reveals his name. The way that God reveals his name is going to give us a foundation for surely knowing him. I am means to be, or I be. Maybe a better translation. So I be who I be. That's just kind of fun to say, right? Um, it means that God does not have a beginning or an ending. That God did, not, God did not come from anywhere. That he's not going anywhere. He exists outside of time. That he is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And he's there, and he knows. And so he's able to say to Moses... This is what is about to happen. And it's not a statement of, Moses, I'm going to help you, have you lead my people out. And you know, I want you to try this and see, I think it might work. No, he knows, because he exists outside of time, he's all-knowing, he knows exactly how this is going to play out. Because he is the I am who I am. This is important for you and I to understand because this is, at our very being, is what we cling to and hope for in the identity of God. When God says, I am who I am, everything in us wants to trust that God is outside of time. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. So that whatever we are going through, whatever circumstances that we're in and we look to God, we trust that he is in control, that he is sovereign over our lives. So it's important that we get the identity behind I am. The second way we know that God is personal is through the life of Moses is this. He begin, God begins to show himself as active in our lives. Look at the words that he says to Moses. God's speaking directly to him and he says, I have seen the afflictions of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I've seen the oppression and I have come down to deliver that is relational, covenantal language. 
is not some far-off God. He is personal because he becomes active, intimately active in our lives. This is true for us today. God sees you. He hears you. He knows our lives intimately. The book of Exodus is an incredible picture for us of our salvation. From darkness of slavery to the light of the promised land for the Israelites, the fact that he draws us out of our sin to draw us into a relationship with him. What if we believe deep in our guts that God knows us, that he sees us, and he interacts with us intimately every day? How might that change the way that we approach life? How might, what kind of confidence would that give us? You know, beyond the book of Exodus today, the Bible initiative, one of the main things, if you opened up your very first page, you would see that our prayer is that God would speak. That you, your eyes would be alive into the fact that God is active and living in his word and he is interacting with you there. How would this change your heart? How would this change the outlook on life? If we daily read and searched the word of God to know him and understand him better. You're going to see it throughout the book of Exodus as you read through it. There are two very practical things that you're going to see the presence of God consistently. And you're going to see that God's promises are true. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most determining fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Moses is going to have this moment that we're going to walk through here. It starts in verse 11 and it goes through chapter 4, where he realizes it's not about him. It's not about his inadequacies. It's about God. He asked the question that I think we often ask and are crushed by our own fears is this, who am I? It's a question of identity, right? Who am I? Moses is wildly insecure. He tried this on his own once before. It didn't work out so well. And now look where he's living, in his in-law's basement, right? (laughs) But God, being personal, answers him. And he says, I will be with you. Notice how God deals with Moses' insecurities. He doesn't say, you know, I'm going to fill you with some positive thoughts or you're really underestimating yourself here. No, he just goes straight to it and says, I will be with you. The great I am, I will be with you. This promise is true for you and I. If we realize that God is active in our lives and he will be with you, it frees us up to trust God. Because you see, real confidence does not come from our competence, but from the assurance of God's presence. Okay? Real confidence does not come from our competence, but from the assurance of God's presence. What does your heart deep down conceive God to be like? 
when you understand, when you begin to understand that God is truly personal, that he is interacting in our lives, and we find some freedom to trust him, the thing that's going to happen is he's going to call us to action. What we learn from Moses' life is that because of who God is, the great I am, he is graciously going to use imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. None of us are perfect, but he, because of who he is, is going to graciously use us, imperfect people, to accomplish his perfect will. As you press into that, as you say, I'm gonna, I want to take a step in faith, as you press in, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to come face to face with your fear, your doubt, your insecurity. But to know that God knows you and sees you. Moses shows us an example. Um, when God makes a calling on his life, he becomes so wildly insecure and filled with doubt. But I want you to see the loving grace of God in his interaction and responses to him. You know, friends, we each have a calling on our lives. If you have given your life to the Lord, if you accepted him as your savior, you have a calling on your life. Each calling is different, but learn from Moses and how you handle this. You're going to repeatedly find Moses saying, you got the wrong guy. They're not going to believe me. I'm inadequate. I'm inefficient. I lack the ability. They're just simply not going to believe me. What Moses is guilty here of is something that we do as well. What Moses is guilty of here is he's using his past to justify not being obedient today. He uses his past to, not, to justify not being obedient today. This plays itself out all, all the time. Whether we actually verbalize it or we just think it, we say, I would love to do that, but my past. What are people going to think if I step into that role? Or, I, you know, how, how are they going to receive me? Somehow we feel that we have disqualified ourselves from being obedient and being used by God because of our past. It is just simply not true. What's so interesting to me is if you look at Moses' life, the 40, he spent 40 years. You know, he, he ran and fleed from Egypt at about 40 years old, and from 40 to 80, he lived in Midian as a shepherd working for his father-in-law. What's amazing to me is how that experience has shaped him, Moses, for this calling. For 40 years, he has lived in the wilderness, the very wilderness that he is going to have to lead his people through to escape Egypt. He knows where the watering holes are. He knows where all the dangers to avoid are. He even knows a thing or two about how to deal with an unruly herd. Some of you have listened to the voices of doubt and insecurity for so long that you're blind to the very specific things that God has shaped you and prepared you for, for years. Don't use your past to justify not being obedient today. What if you looked at your life through the eyes of faith? That everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, if you look at all of that, your whole life, what has God prepared you for? More importantly, when Moses says, who am I? God's response to Moses teaches us that it doesn't matter who we are. 
It matters who God is. God says to Moses, it doesn't matter who I am. Yeah, Moses, Moses, sorry, that got confusing. Moses said, who am I? God said, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. You know, we can throw whatever inadequacies, whatever rebuttals we want at God. His answer to us is always the same. But God, I'm just not very smart or skilled. I am. But God, I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm not very confident. I'm not a steady person. I know. I am. What if I fall? It doesn't matter. I am. Who can I trust? Trust me, because I am. My marriage is, is falling apart, and I don't know where to turn. Turn to me. I am. I'm 50 years old, and I feel like I'm starting over. Start with me. I am. I'm pouring into others. Who's pouring into me? I am. I'm tired, and I just feel like quitting. I am. In my own experiences, I'm pretty sure that the feeling of inadequacy is the prerequisite to being used by God. Okay? The other reality for Moses that we have to see here is that he's scared. He knew the Egyptians. And God laid down a, what is a gauntlet for him. It is daunting. It is a daunting task that God is calling him to. But sometimes the action that God calls us to, that we deem to be too painful, the fear that drives us away from the Lord in that, I know that there are families in this congregation that have walked through incredibly painful things. But hear me, God is not going to waste your pain. Your pain often reveals the very purposes God has for your life. In 2006, um, just share a personal story here. Uh, I got an invitation from a friend. Well, first off, I got a friend, phone call from a friend. His name is Matt Mooney. Um, Matt and his wife, Jenny, shared that they were going to have a baby. And it was the, really my first friend that was going to have a baby. And so we were so excited. And we were calling, he was calling me to share that, but he was also calling to coordinate this, uh, this weekend in Branson that we were going to get together in a few months. And so... So excited for him, so happy for him. And uh, about a month before we got together, I got a friend from a call from another friend that was going to be down there with us. And he just said, "I got to share some heavy news with you." Um, Matt and Jenny just found out that their baby boy has trisomy 18, uh, which is or Edwards syndrome. Um, trisomy 18. Most babies are stillborn, uh, and if they are born alive, they don't survive very long. Uh, out of the womb. And so I remember this weekend so vividly because for, you know, Matt and Jenny wanted to be there, they maybe to get outside the routine, um, get their minds off of things or just to be with friends. But I remember driving around in a truck. We were sitting three across the front seat of this truck and Matt was in the middle and I remember him talking and just kind of sharing. We were kind of talking all around the subject. He was going to take a semester off of law school and and then Matt finally just said, hey, guys, I can tell you anything you want to know about trisomy 18, what it does, how it affects a child. And he stopped with tears in his eyes. He just said, but I can't talk about Elliot. I can't tell you what it's doing to my son. And from there, he composed himself, and he, he shared some more. And we talked for a while, and I kind of sat quietly. And I finally just asked Matt, I was like, wow. 
how in the world are you holding this together? And Matt's response was, you know, he was quiet for a few seconds, and he finally just said, I've got to believe that God is in this, that he's good, that there is some good purpose for what we're, what we're going through. Um, I want to show you a brief clip of a part of a video of that. Uh, it's a collection of Matt's journals to his son, um, and kind of um, capturing their, um, their moments together with their son, Elliot. We all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons, each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch. How quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well. And although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son. Mom and Dad. lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that plays faulty information into every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not some great sermon, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound baby boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take something lowly in the eyes of the world and to show truth, to reveal his glory. You know, what Matt and Jenny went through is something that turned their life upside down. But they chose to press into God in that very moment. In the midst of their pain, and three days before Elliot passed, Matt had written a blog post where he had said, we continue to fight fear, but we continue to laugh and experience joy, 
to, to we continue to savor every moment that we have with our son. And on the day of his celebration of life, I, I will never forget these words Matt said, truly that the Lord did not ask us to take a path which he had not already traveled on our behalf. You see, it's an experience that no one desires, but God showed a purpose to them in their own lives. Matt was in law school. He dropped out of school. He started a non-profit called 99 Balloons, which advocates for children with disabilities, adults with disabilities, and it's grown to go all over the world. They started a ministry called Recess that is starting in churches where they are reaching out to people in the community that have children with disabilities just to love and encourage and support them once a month, a couple times a month. Um, I mean, that video is a lot longer, and it's creeping up on 5 million views. He's got to share his story on Oprah. God is not going to waste your pain. He's probably going to reveal what he has in store for you through it. So if you're here this morning, going through, some, through something hard, I want you to know this, that even your darkness, that darkness that you feel in the pain right now, is light to God. It's not like you're outside of God's will here. He sees you, he knows you, and he, hears, he feels the same agony that you do. Don't run from the very thing that God might use to reveal himself to you or to others around you. We know that God is personal because if you look at Moses' reactions through here, he's face-to-face -face speaking with God and all he's throwing at God is fear and insecurity and God in his love continues to be patient. Moses says, I'm nobody. You know, who am I? God says, I will be with you. God says, this calling is not based on you or your credibility, but mine. God doesn't want Egypt impressed with Moses. He wants Egypt impressed with him. The great I am. Moses goes on and says, they're not going to believe me. So God gives him three signs of, to reveal his power. All right, we know these. The, the staff turns into a snake. The, his hand becomes leprous, and then he heals it right then and there. The third is that he pulls a cup of water out of the Nile, and he pours it out on dry land, and it turns into blood. These pictures of God's power are for their, uh, for, for the, the Egyptians and for the Israelites to trust that God is there. But I want you to know what this says to us. What God does here is he gives us his word before he reveals his power. He gives us his word before he reveals his power. So wherever God is calling you into, step into that in obedience, trusting God trusting that his power will be revealed in whatever he's asking you to step into. We see God's power when Moses takes steps. Think about this. Moses, drop your staff. It turns into a snake. Moses runs. Okay, good choice. I would too. All right? What spiders are to Tim Fritzen, snakes are to T.A. Okay? Let's just clarify that up. But God says, Moses, take a step. Pick it up by the tail. No, you, you don't pick up a snake by the tail. You, sh you, you kill it with a shovel, right? 
But God is asking Moses, take a step in obedience. Take a step in faith. Pick it up. Of course, he picks it up. It turns into his staff again. The one that gets me is the last one. God doesn't tell Moses to scoop up some water and I'll turn it into blood for you. He says, scoop up some water, stand before Pharaoh, stand before the elders of Israel, and pour it out, and it will become blood. Which forces Moses to say, switching that water around, going, God, it's not blood yet. And I have to trust to pour it out. Pour it out, and it will become blood. After all the signs, this almost makes me angry. After all the signs, Moses goes on and says, Oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. How many of us would love just to hear the voice of God? You know, Moses says, you know, even that you're talking to me now, I'm not, I'm not going to send somebody else. I'm slow of speech. Notice that that Lord in the text is in, not in all capital letters. Moses has switched to, oh, Adonai, oh, sovereign master. What Moses is doing here is he's making his inadequacies, his fears, trump the power of God. I don't speak well. Send somebody else. Do you see the irony in that? I get almost angry at this, this point. There's nothing you can't do, God, but oh, yet my foolishness, my brokenness supersedes your all-powerfulness. We, God is personal. You want to know why we know God is personal? Because God's response, yes, God gets angry, but he says, fine, here's another, here's another. He wants to use him. He is graciously patient, overly patient with Moses. It's not his power that matters. Sorry, it's, not, it's his power that matters, not our lack of it. It's not our might and will to be able to do it. It's God's. The tension for Moses is between what he understands and what he sees before him and his willingness to understand and submit to who he knows God is. We face this every day. We look at the world around us and we ask the question, are we willing to submit to who we understand God to be? I want to invite the the worship team back up. I just want to conclude with this. We're all on this journey together. Whether God is stirring something great in your heart or God is walking you through something incredibly painful, don't run from the very thing that God wants to use to reveal himself to you, to reveal himself to somebody else. Take a step of faith. Take a step of obedience.